G'day. Welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch, the producer and host of Lucky Episode 7. Those playing along to where we're at have said all along that the first 10 would set the show up going ahead. Today, you'll hear one of the first chats recorded in the home studio post the Melbourne tour of 2018 with a guest who runs their own business. First came to my attention on the rare occasion that I turned the TV on. I was having a shocking day and thought some Grant Denyer plus Family Feud would fix the woe. It did. I was also greeted through the screen by a witty person in the whole family. Left of screen, spirits were lifted as their team captain jested with Denyer. They're from Victoria. I was headed that way to tour, as I mentioned, to record the chats. Perfect non-music guest, I thought. First of those in life chatting music and more. Brianna Hall, founder and director of Alina, is our feature guest. And it's been close to 21 years today that the Australian Constitutional Convention happened. So we're going to dive into the archives and offer reel-to-reel tape to hear from the late Mr. Bruce Ruxton on his thoughts back on the 9th of February, 1998. And while speaking about thoughts, both of our guests today share thoughts that I personally may not agree with, and you may not as well. But the point being is, the great thing about the format that we have here is that we can have an extended chat and with your ears, you can listen and form a view. And you can also write in radionotes at writeme.com. Well, you may be listening through the wireless, digital AM or FM. There is also the podcast first release Sunday late each week from Australia. Just to let you know, you can subscribe and or follow the show on your favorite podcatcher to not miss out on an episode and make it easier to listen back. That includes, but not limited to, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Overcast, Podcast, etc. Feels weird asking if you're already there, but for those that may not know, do now. What we do first thing of each episode... In the box. Skim the top three from my inbox and share with you. Quintent from Melbourne, Australia, Mantel, have recorded their latest in the garage studio at home with Magic America's Stapleton, said to have mixed their latest tune, Can I Set It Right? Lads with feels, riffs and full body of sound beyond pop and clearly not afraid to sound tight. Dave Orban album states in its title, As soon as I know, belting out the blues with groove across an 11-track release, fresh from gracing the Woodford Folk Festival stage, in truth their latest has delicious drenchings also of jazz, nods of rock too. Produced by Brisbane's Jeff Lovejoy. Golden Guitar finalist Casey Barnes, new cut off their Good Life album is Better Days. Embracing in living in the moment, positive vibes from an artist that is soon to be headed back to Nashville and Los Angeles to write and record their fourth studio album. Some clean cut country from them. That's the top releases in my inbox. We'll have links to all three at radionotespodcast.com in the show notes. There were heaps from the major labels this week further down, and as we go along this episode, we'll cast an eye over them too. Time right now to cast an eye over some of the other releases that have gone past my desk across the week. Radio Notes Discoveries. Past guests of Radio Note, Biffy Clyro, have released their cover version of Bowie's Modern Love done on the Howard Stern radio show. The Scottish trio have added their screaming vocals with class while keeping the rhythmic vibe in time. To electropunk, Goo Monday release another cut from their soon-to-be-released debut album Nine Lives out through Negative Gain called Start a Fire. The clip contains massive strobe effects and highlights the grit of this artist's work. Post-punk reports its setting is like the first episodes of BBC Skins meets David Lynch. 
Plum Green followed on the socials, Radio Notes podcast, one word if you wish to do so. Their latest called Sound Recordings, as in the namesake of the studio the tunes were recorded, engineered and mixed by Alex Bennett. Based in Australia, originally from New Zealand, though born in the UK, they've recently done an extensive tour of Europe. Delightful with a slight dark hug to the soul and a refreshing direct delivery. While lyrically strong backbone to each tune, Funeral Song, a fave of this release for me. Though ones I might jump to, I hope you die. Worthy listen to. Current single with video is called Cannibal. Final two for this episode. Firstly, Stickers from Seattle, Washington have a four-track called Office Spaced. And Pecu, Pecu, Pecu have a 15-track out next month called Optimal Lifestyle. Both have no hold barred groove and worthy addition to one's week. Be putting out feelers for chat with them in the coming week. More music mentions and off the charts after our feature chat, which is here now. Brianna Hall went on national TV with her family and jested with Grant Denyer, punched out some short drives, which Denyer responded to as good was given. Telling the Shepherd and News it was fun, the appearance on Family Feud. To then appear also the following week on the project, which all made for front page news. But who is Brianna? A founder of their own company, Eliana, and with a vision, drive to learn, and eye to their future. John was to record a chat as part of Radio Notes Melbourne tour, but work called for Brie as she likes to be known, so here they are, joined over the line, to share a wide-ranging and unscripted chat. Bree, welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks, thanks for having me. You join us from the Shepparton area of Australia, and we want to talk music, so let's get out of the way. Do you know Briggs? No. <laughs> Should I? Briggs, of course, is one of the great exports from that region when it comes to music. I won an award last night as well. So if you don't know Briggs... Who do you know in the uh, music scene? What kind of music are you listening to in Shepparton? That's a hard question because I listen to everything and anything. I don't have a particular style that I like. I've got no particular favourite band that I like either. Let's get a bit of a profile feel of your background and what music may have first influenced you because, of course, I do note you've been doing music as a music teacher until the end of 2017 for grades 4 to 12. I think it all started from my mother. Um, She basically told me when I was seven years old, you are learning the piano and I'm going to teach you and you're going to learn it regardless of whether you like it or not. So I actually didn't have a choice. And then it got to the point where mum was like, I can't teach you anymore because we're having too many arguments. So I got a teacher and I did that for a few years. And to be honest, I really hated it. And I begged her. I was like, please let me stop playing the piano. Like I hate it. It's so boring. But then it was funny, as I got older, when I was probably 18, I actually started to love it, I think, because my maturity and my development, I started to enjoy listening to music and because I was so skilled in it then, mm. I also had a greater appreciation for different works, even like more production type stuff. I was very intrigued by all of it. So, Can you talk to us about the conversation you had with your mother about music? Obviously, it wasn't hatred all the time. I'm sure there was a bit of connection about what you were learning at the time. Um, I think because she's musical as well, there was kind of that, that family thing and being able to do it together. And that's also what would have driven my love of it because I eventually taught myself play more sort of chords and things so that I could actually sing to it because I'm, I'm a vocalist as well and I also taught singing. So being able to play the piano and then actually sing together and then put her in doing harmonies and my other sisters can sing as well. So we had, you know, three, four-part harmonies going there for a while. 
that's the kind of influence and the things that I loved about doing music with my mum because we could do it together. It was a thing that we enjoyed doing together. Was there a pulling out of the records or was it by note, by teaching? She shared some of her books that her teacher used to go through with her and apparently her teacher was more ruthless than my teacher's. Apart from that, no, we had just gotten a beginner book and Sue Shaw just taken me through it and I just did whatever she asked me to do. So that's a music teacher. Now, teaching was going to be the career for you. I thought it was there for a while because I really started to enjoy music. It was sort of easy. I enjoy communicating and teaching children. And at that time, I also thought about being a school teacher. So I was like, well, I can do music as well and just teach music because I love teaching kids. I love teaching music. Let's do it and put it together. What happened? Was it the realisation that kids are kids? Pretty much. I went to uh, university and I started in education at Bendigo. I did one year, I got into placement and I went, seriously, is this all that teachers do? These kids don't even want to learn. Why do I want to get in and teach them from like nine to three o'clock and then stay afterwards do all this boring paperwork? And I was like, I can't do this. Those kids are too ratty. I want to teach kids who want to learn, which in reality, are there any kids that actually exist who want to learn? Or if they are, they're probably pretty far and few between. Did you reflect on your own childhood and the kind of child you were at that stage? Probably a little bit because I've always been fairly studious. So I, most of the time I loved going to school and learning. I was never a troublemaker. The school that I went to, the kids were quite challenging. A lot of them came from really hard backgrounds. So there wasn't the ability for them to actually sit there and listen um, well. So they were always going to be hard to teach uh, anyway. But no, definitely I think reflecting on my own, I thought, oh, it'll be easy. Kids are all like me, but in reality they're not. What do you see the involvement of children in music and what they need to get from music? It's funny, actually. I've been sort of thinking about this um, for the last little while. Music for me is a huge outlet, a huge outlet. I think because I'm a creative person as well, that starting at a young age, I began writing songs like in grade six, just, you know, maybe I'd had a really tough day at school and, you know, it was probably the most ridiculous song ever. But that didn't matter because it was actually a way for me to let go of some of my frustrations and just vent, I suppose, over things and be able to deal through it and work through my emotions. Because growing up and learning who you are is a very hard process. I really found that music was an avenue that I could sort of release all of that. And I think kids these days, especially like even thinking about my brother, most of the time he's just spending on computer games and, and different technology and apps and all that kind of stuff. But less and less kids are getting outside and just sort of living in the moment. Mm -hmm. They're so caught up in, you know, exciting entertainment that I don't think they're really sort of looking after their mental well-being so much so because they're not doing these kind of things. So music for me was huge influence in terms of, I suppose, finding out who I am and just being able to be exactly who I am. Where were you finding music? You say you had a wide taste of music. Um, from a range of sources, like obviously, you know, radio is a huge thing for me. I'll just be on the way home from work or, you know, when I was sitting on the bus on the way home from school, I'd just be listening to, oh, I really like that one and go home and look up the lyrics that I'd seen and, oh, you know, download that one because that one's good. It's also just from different events and things. Like I've got some friends who are musicians and they go out and perform gigs and things in like restaurants and stuff. So I'll go out for the night and listen to them. I even go to a church, so we've got lots of music there that I like to listen to and that we sort of bounce off ideas and even bigger churches, we listen to their kind of genre stuff. Like I said, it comes from really anywhere. Like walking down the street in a supermarket and hear a song, oh, I like that one. It's really anywhere. Now, your father is the pastor of that church? Yes. Yep. He started the church about seven years ago 
Um, so we moved from our previous church who sort of released us to go out and plant a new one. Um, we've been doing that for about seven years. So I'm, so I'm one of the worship leaders there. So I'm on the team, you know, every second week doing music, running my own lists and, and picking what I like. So, yeah, it's good. We'll move on from religion very soon unless you want to stay there. But I want to ask in terms of music, in terms of the communication of what you're trying to share, the storytelling element of it, is that a strong element of why music's so important within that environment? Absolutely. In in all music, that's what it is. You've actually hit the nail on the head. This is what I tried to communicate to my kids all the time. Music is is an art. It's it's actually an art of storytelling. I would often get my kids to sit and because I had a lot of kids who were doing exam pieces mm-hmm. and I had many of them who would play very robotically. It was like they were reading a book and going, that cat fell over. Like it was just so boring. I said, you've got to think about this piece, okay? For instance, the Nutcracker. What is it about? What What is going on? There's a dance going on. You've got to feel that emotion, that flow. You've got to tell the story within your song because if you're not, it's boring and there's nothing in there and nobody wants to listen to that. Definitely storytelling is a huge part of music and, and displaying that through the way that you play and the way that you sing. Not saying your church is part of, I don't know much about churches, but Hillsong, for example, regularly are charting the charts. They're getting number one. People can dismiss that as being some marketing or something else, but the fact is the music itself is doing some sort of connection, and that's undeniable. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of their music I find incredible. I've had some very low moments in my life, and a couple of years ago I was at a very, very difficult spot, and I was able to just listen to those songs, and it was amazing how much it sort of just – it stirs your soul and just calms and brings peace and, and that's what music can do and that's what Christ can do. So definitely. As a leader of a musical group, you're yep. seeing some sparks. Absolutely. I mean, I have some people in particular that it's funny how like some people you connect with easier than others um, and I've had like particularly one who's become a really good friend now and we're able to just, so she picks up a guitar, I pick up a piano, hey, let's pick up this song, let's go. And suddenly we're just starting to sing harmonies together and it's just all working. We don't even have to communicate. It's just like we know. And like I haven't even known her for that long, but it's just this connection. I don't know how it works, but it's incredible. When we start playing together, it just sounds amazing. I mean, it helps that she's super talented as well. So, yeah, definitely. Speaking to the founder and director of Elena, talk about that a little bit later. We're talking about music right now, particularly that of the connection, the religious, maybe gospel, maybe not so much. But I, I want to continue on that line in terms of the songwriting that you're doing at a younger age. Are you still songwriting now and is it in the form of this kind of music or is it something a little bit different? I haven't done as much songwriting as probably I would have liked to have done. I actually did VC music performance in year 11 and 12. And I hated it. I had a very, he was a very talented teacher, but he was very, very hard. And he was expecting like four to five hours of practice a night. I probably loved my sport a bit too much. And so I couldn't dedicate the time that I wanted to in music. So it almost killed my love of piano and music, which was really hard. It's probably only in the last 12 months that I've actually come back and played for fun. That really hasn't happened because I had worked so hard. I was over it. I didn't want to touch a piano ever again. But songwriting, I definitely want to start doing again because, like I said earlier, that for me is an outlet. That is, for me, a way to express myself. You mentioned sport. I want to talk about sport, even though it's not related to music and not related to your company either because I know it's such a passion for you. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love sport. I could talk all day about this. I play netball myself. I have played tennis. I'd love to give AFL a crack one day. I made my dad teach me how to actually kick football properly Mm -hmm. so that I don't get called a girl kicker. 
how is he at sport? He had a bit of a back issue back in uh, 2004. How is he now? Yeah, he's really, really good actually. He got onto this lady in Sydney called Sarah Keys. Um, she apparently uh, was like a physio for the royal family at some stage. Um, and she got him onto a series of exercises and things that was able to help him to get his back back into position to be able to walk and actually do things because he got so bad he couldn't even pick up my newborn brother who was like six kilos. He couldn't even pick him up, which is ridiculous. No one can live a life like that. So talk about this chance that you might be in the AFLW in the near future. Oh, I don't think I'm making that anytime soon. I'm far too short. I just love sport in general. I think it's a team thing. It's something you can do with others. I mean, we spoke about my sisters. So we play um, all together last year, all in the same team and all in separate parts of the court. One was a defender. I was mid-court and the other one was a shooter. And it's funny as well playing with your sisters because I think you're so connected. I would almost just throw balls knowing exactly where they were going to be. could do it almost with my eyes closed. Mm. There was just this, I don't know, telepathic connection or something. And I just loved it. You know, we drove up together to, you know, the away games and just spent time together and, and bonded with that, you know, our sisters and the team and just it was a lot of fun. Let's talk about the rhythm. Let's talk about the music of netball. Well, the rhythm of netball at least. I like music. When you play the notes properly and play them together, it's all goes smoothly and fluently. It's the same on the court. We set up plays and processes so that we can get the ball from one end to the other without stumbling or falling. It's a fluent, flowing process. The last tune you listened to, what was it? Tora Kelly, Don't You Worry About a Thing. <laughs> never, never heard of them. Who are they? I'm pretty sure she's by herself. I've got a couple of the pieces, but I actually heard about it when I watched like this movie sing which is like just a little kid's cartoon movie and I just loved her voice and her energy and her passion and it's one of those songs that just really gets you going in the morning like it's just a super you know upbeat funky um, song. We haven't asked what kind of vocalist are you? You're a singer, songwriter but what kind? I am a mezzo-soprano singer but I think I'd rather go a little bit lower than the soprano range because I've probably lost a few notes because I've been a little bit out of practice. <laughs> You mentioned before that you're short. This is a good time to mention Grant Denyer. Oh, I never should have brought this one up, should I? <laughs> you mentioned short. Now, he did win a gold Logie. How's that going? How do you feel about Grant and Family Feud closing? I'm really sad about Family Feud being over. I actually had the best time on that show. I mean, oh, man, I was in my element. I was loving every bit of it. I had everyone like going, oh, like, weren't you nervous? I was like, no, not really. I was just having a blast. It was awesome. And Grant Denyer, man, that cracked me up. Like I, I knew he was kind of funny and quick on his feet, but it wasn't until that moment that I realised how quick and funny he actually was. I think the best part was too, I sort of assumed that Grant would be a little bit like, okay, I'm really funny on screen, but as soon as cameras turn off, I'm not even going to talk to you. But the funniest thing was when cameras like, you know, cut, he just kept laughing and kept going. He's like, I can't believe we just went there. And so I think the whole experience of that thing was incredible. So I'm so sad that like it's over now because so many people are missing out on such an awesome experience. But he's now on radio. And of course, that's where his charm is shining in, in Sydney radio. Live television, you're there with the family. I think for me, family is a huge thing. Like I'm still living at home now with all my siblings. I'm, I mean, I'm 23. A lot of people can't do that because they can't even stand their parents or their siblings. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of relationship that we have. Like I just got back recently from a holiday um, to Central Australia. We went to um, Alice Springs, Uluru, Ayers Rock, mm-hmm. all of that. And we did that for two weeks together in a bus. I mean, that can be enough to kill people. But that's the kind of family that we are. We're very close-knit. 
and we're able to do things like that together. So when, you know, we applied for the show, I was like, come on, mom, like you want to do it with me? My sisters were already keen because we're pretty happy to do that kind of stuff. But, yeah, that's what for us is family. You mentioned you went to Uluru, obviously being of the religious background and, and having a pastor as a father. The spiritual significance, how did you connect while you were there to the Uluru experience? It was really funny actually going there. We were just looking at all these, you know, amazing things, you know, seeing this huge rock which is just enormous. And for us, it's looking at that and saying, wow, like our creator God is incredible. He put this here so that we can enjoy it. He put this here to show that he's all-powerful and, and all-loving and it points to him. And even looking at the stars, like in Alice Springs, the, the stars, it's so clear, like the skies, it's beautiful. And just showing that, you know, we are so small on this earth and we have you know, such a tiny role, but he cares about every single one of us, um, regardless of the things that we do of our sin he loves us and forgives us for those things and you know his creation points to him and his magnificence of course for the indigenous people they have their own story and history for the rock as well for yep. larue what was the reason was it a birthday celebration we go on a family holiday every year that's kind of been our tradition since i think they said when i was 10 months old we've gone on a holiday like every year as a family we decided to go to um, like airs rock and Alice Springs and all that because the rock is closing to climbing next year. Because it's kind of, I suppose, one of the iconic Australian things. And I was like, oh, like I really want to go and do it. So we thought, look, let's do it this year because otherwise we may not get another chance. So that was kind of why I went to Ayers Rock. And you understand why it's closing next year and all those reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I appreciate that. And so I thought, well, let's take the chance while we can and, and let them have their time. You mentioned, obviously, being television. That brings me to being in front of the camera, La Trobe University. Have you got a bit of a bug of being in front of the camera? Is that why you went on Family Feud? Because you just enjoy being in front of the camera. Yes, I love being in front of the camera. It's ridiculous. I've actually applied for some other TV show, or actually one other TV show. I'm super keen to get on the block. I'm a really lucky property heard. I'm an really? outdoors person. Oh, man, I have already applied like twice, I think. And they say you have to really apply at least five times to get on. And, of course, your love of Gold Logie winners, Scott Cam. Oh, my gosh, that would be so good. And Scotty Cam, oh, I love him. We're going to have a chat regarding basically company, but it's more than a company that you're a director and founder of. But before we do, I want to talk about that of Pastel Colours. I definitely love Pastel Colours. Even my friends know that because the last lot of flowers I got were the Pastel Bouquet. So, I yeah, I just love the softness of it and the warmth that it brings and it makes me happy, really. So where did the kernel of the idea come from? I am a huge go-getter. I was sitting in the car and I was saying to my dad, oh, I would like to buy that property and I want to turn it into like the new kids' town. So kids' town in Shepparton is like a huge sort of adventure playground that lots of kids love to go to. It's pretty fun. And I was determined to make this new kids' town and make it, I suppose, the rival competitor. So I think it all kind of started from a very young age. I've been very entrepreneurial, even though I probably didn't understand what that word meant. What age were you saying this to your father? be around the 10 to 12. I was, I was pretty young. Actually, it'd be less than that because I probably would have been like grade three, grade four. Right. I was pretty young. Finished uni, I got a job and I just went, is this it? Is this is this just how life goes? You just go to work from 8.30 to 5 every day, walk in, walk out, do what you have to do. I was like, it just doesn't fulfill me or it doesn't satisfy me. 
I was like, I want to be my own boss. I want to be able to make the decisions myself. I don't want to have to go and ask this person who's got to ask this person who's got to ask this person. I understand we've got to, you know, look after and look up to our authorities and, you know, that kind of thing. And I respect that and and I'm working that kind of uh, situation. But I wanted to be able to make the decisions myself. And so I saw starting my own business is being able to incorporate all the range of skills that I have accounting and marketing yep. i was like right i can do the book work by myself i can also do all the marketing and communications myself of course i'll learn more as i go along the way and meet new people and, and build on that but that's what i wanted to do but the hardest part for me was the idea of, of what sort of business i was like i don't really have a skill apart from accounting and marketing like i don't you know i'm not a hairdresser i can't go and start a hairdresser salon i'm not a tradie i was like what do i do I was so stuck and I was getting really frustrated because I'm like, I, I want to be find something I'm passionate about. Anyway, so I was just lying in bed one night and looked over, I had a candle burn. And I went, you know what? I love candles. I love it when people give me candles. I was like, they're like the best present ever. I was like, surely I would be able to make, you know, special soy candles and hand pour them myself and market them that way. So that's basically what I did. I, I just bought some ingredients thought, all right, let's see how we make these, see if I can actually do it. And I tried it and they turned out amazing and incredible. So I thought, all right, I'm going to turn this idea into a business. Now, the extension of that, particularly in terms of marketing, is that of events. Yes. And you're in the Shepparton area and they, of course, would have events, but there is events right across Australia and the world, but in particular in the Shepparton area. What was one of the first events that you went to where you went, okay, I have soy candles, I have a marketing I. Where was that next step where you wanted to go into the marketing of events? I think it's probably always been on the back burner for me, but I probably felt not as confident about it because I thought no one will want to do, you know, events from me or I just, I don't know, I just think I lacked confidence in my ability to be able to pull it off. It was funny because I was talking to a lady after I started my candles and I told her, look, I love my candles and I want to keep doing candles but I also love events and I love being able to decorate beautiful tables and make gorgeous centerpieces and beautiful welcome signs. I said, I love doing that and I can do that. And she goes, why haven't you started this earlier? She goes, I thought that's the first thing you were going to do. She goes, you're so, you're so creative and talented in that way. I thought you would have done that already. And so I think that sort of, you know, just reaffirmed for me that actually I can do it and I don't need to talk to myself negatively about that. It's about getting out there and, and letting people know what I can do and do for them. This is where we're going to go back to music, Brie. At that point, let's call it a low because that's what it is, where you're self-doubting and doing all those kind of things. What music was actually plucking you out of that situation? What was your go-to music at that point? I listened to a range of stuff, but most of it was very slow, really soft music. So this beautiful artist called Laura Story, she had this song called Perfect Peace, which is just like, it's very basic. It's just a vocalist and piano and some other small instruments, but it's nothing big. And just listening to songs like that, very simple and and even some nice acoustic ones, which were just really taken back, really allowed me, I suppose it's sort of calmed my thoughts and my heart so that I could think clearly I think that's the biggest thing you know listening to something like Tora Kelly that was probably not going to work that would just hype me up and make me more stressed and oh I just needed something which was soothing so definitely a lot of acoustic stuff I would even just type in Spotify acoustic you know popular acoustic mm-hmm. uh, playlists and just even artists I'd never heard before I mean just listening to that kind of stuff was really really helpful what are you listening to now as you try to drive this business ahead Oh, yeah, it's more of the Tora Kelly stuff, all like, you know, upbeat, invigorating, you know, 
even some old hits like, hey, baby, if you'll be my girl. So I'm like punching out the top of my lungs, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. I have no idea what that song is. Oh, it's so old. It's so good. Let's talk about uh, raw brownie mixture with vanilla ice cream. Oh, I'm, I have weird addictions. I love – so I always used to eat, like, cake batter as a kid. But one day I just couldn't have bothered waiting for this brownie mixture to cook. So I was like, look, surely it can't be that bad. And I had a few tastes. I'm like, this is amazing. And I was like, oh, if I add ice cream, this will be a 100 times better. And then I just got addicted. And so now I have to be really, really careful. Okay, Brianna, only one lot of brownie mixture this week. Got to be good. What kind of niche or, or focus do you have for the weddings, the events? I think the biggest thing for me is making people happy and making people find the joy in whatever they're getting. And for me, I know that it's always been when I've bought something, it's, a, it's about an experience. And so I always want to make an experience which is above and beyond anything else. I don't want someone to just go and just buy a candle and, ooh, I've got a cool candle in a box. It's more than a candle. So some of the new ranges that I'm looking at launching, I think just make people feel happier and actually make them feel better about themselves. So some of the things I'm going to introduce are really going to hone in on those things. What I could create to make others happy. So the actual act of creating something, as you're saying, that will give people joy. I love being happy and I love seeing other people happy and that I think is what makes me happy. I'm a real people pleaser. I I hate to disappoint people. I think that's one of the biggest things in life that I've had to work through that I can do my best to please all people, but I, I can't in the real world and I have to learn to deal and work through that. But that's what I thrive on. That's what I, I really enjoy and feel satisfied and fulfilled in is actually, especially people who are maybe not feeling so good and being able to bring something to them that actually brings them out of that that hole or that sadness or that gloom and able to bring them some sort of joy. That makes me so happy. Like I can't even explain how happy. Like I'm almost crying just thinking about people that I've, I've been able to help and that makes me feel awesome. It's also a very long process sometimes as well because it's not always just plucking someone out of a situation. It's not a, hey, you'll be right. What is it that drives you to look at the longevity of such things? The reason, it's so funny that I bring this up, because I have been through some really difficult stuff, which was not a pluck and pull situation, which some people tried to do with me and it did not work. And it actually probably made me more upset because I thought, like I'm meant to feel better now, but I don't feel better. I feel really awful still. I feel really, you know, sad and anxious. And and now I feel bad because I'm disappointed as well and just became a little bit too overwhelming. I think for me, I have an understanding of that, which is why I really love to sort of come alongside people and say, Hey, like, what do you need today? What's going on? Just talk, just just let it out. Because I had that empathetic connection with them, I actually understand that sometimes it is a very long process. And the only way that people can come out of that is actually by letting them come to that realisation themselves or allowing them enough time to heal. Time. When you're standing next to that person, it is laying out the steps. It's laying out some sort of foundation, not just holding the hand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially for me, I became so unwell that I couldn't even think clearly. And so I didn't need someone coming to me and going, you need to do this, 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 and being just like, you know, lording it over me. I needed someone to come alongside me and steer me and say, right, the next thing you need to do is this, but communicating it in a really loving and relational way. That's where candles do come in handy. The sense of reflection. 
Absolutely. Even, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was just, I wasn't feeling that great. I was a bit upset about some things that had happened and I'm sort of a friend had hurt me and, and I just, I didn't want to talk to anyone. And so I just went in, I ran a hot bath, I lit a candle and I just literally sat there in silence. And then I started to play some soft music as well. And it's that calming that comes over you, that relaxation that actually makes you reset because we have to look after, you know, Obviously, I look after my physical body through sport and things, but we've also really got to pay attention to our mental side of things because it's not something you can really see. It's something that's internal. And so candles is a huge way for me to just unwind, reset the mind so that I can get up the next morning feeling much better. Candles like yours, for example, provide that sensory for the nose, for example, where you can actually go, okay, brain, what are we doing? We're smelling stuff. Why are we smelling stuff? It's because we're looking at that flicker. That kind of extra century that happens as well absolutely and sense too they have such a powerful connection with like your your emotions and your mind and memories the huge thing even as you're talking about the flicker of a candle that is so mesmerizing i could just fires are beautiful just being able to look at that little flicker and just watching it it's just it sort of helps you to stop and just live in the moment which is so hard these days Recently on your trip to Alice Springs, some campfires, and yet again, that's that getting the kids, including yourself, outside into the environment and then having the fire as well. Absolutely. I am a huge believer in being outdoors. You know, it's great to be inside. It's great to have wonderful homes that you can live in. A little while ago, mum was reminding us as kids, there was obviously that huge drought back then. And I remember one day it just started pouring rain and we just wanted to run outside and run in it. And obviously you can get sick and things from being out in the cold for too long. But she goes, I just wanted to let you girls go outside and just run out and enjoy it because you hadn't seen rain for so long. She goes, yeah, I brought you back in and dried you off and gave you a hot bath and it was fine. But I thought it's even from my parenting that this whole philosophy of being outdoors and enjoying it and, and being social with it as well. And that's all part of, you know, crafting who we are. Um, I was fortunate enough that I was able to live on a big property and even go on an orchard and go on walks and things like that, that I've been able to really enjoy that whole outdoor experience. We'll get back to candles by asking this. There are five tips to keeping your baby aglow. The first burn is most important. Things that I recommend you doing, obviously, is trimming your wick. This is a huge one that I sort of didn't know about until you know I started making candles looking at myself because what happens is the wick starts to go mushroomy and lets off black soot and it just it looks terrible and it doesn't burn well yeah. um, so trimming the wick is a huge one it's like it's burning itself and it's just burning itself it's not actually engaging yeah. the, the soy or the rest of the candle and it keeps it a more even burn and things like that as well obviously you need to let it burn for sort of two to three hours they recommend no more than four and no less than one because what happens if you don't burn the entire surface, you start to get sort of half-melted candle which goes down and forms a bit of a tunnel which is not pleasant and doesn't look good. What's the deal with soy wax compared to, let's say, beeswax? Is there a difference? Is there a preference? I went with soy because I liked the colour better. Beeswax is probably a little bit more natural in its form except it has a very, very yellow look which I find quite unappealing but i wanted to go with soy and not paraffin because soy is much much better for the environment a lot of people even do a blend of soy and paraffin but i just wanted to steer clear of that full stop i just went no nah, i'm going 100 percent soy all the way because i think that's a better burning candle let's get back to music we've only got a little bit of time left together but let's talk about the last gig you went to the last music event that you went to ed sheeran i reckon okay. i went to his concert in melbourne did you turn up for Missy Higgins? 
saw the whole of Missy Higgins, the one before that we missed a little bit of. She was great too. She was awesome. I sort of hadn't heard much of her music because it just had never been my style. But I come, I think it's called Futon Couch. I love that song. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And it's like Aussie artist. And I, yeah, I loved it. What was that experience of being in that audience? I think the best part was everyone was so into it and everyone was really sort of, I suppose, upbeat and especially when, because it is a very talented guy. Like I don't agree with all of his music. Some of it's a little bit sort of against some of my morals. Um, but his talent is incredible. Like I couldn't believe that he would do all these different things with just himself and the guitar. It sounded amazing. I was like, this guy is truly a talented artist. I think because you you lose the perception when you hear albums because you go, oh, like they've just auto-tuned or, oh, you know, they've just added that in with technical stuff. Yeah. But this is not – obviously they still do stuff on the night like that. But a lot of it, he is. He's just a very, very gifted musician. You said that there were some issues with the morals of Ed Sheeran in that answer. Um, so me as a Christian, I firmly believe in um, – marriage before um, having sex and things like that and so for some of his his songs they're probably very sexual in nature and talking about that just in a casual girlfriend boyfriend relationship whereas I believe that should be kept strictly within the confines of marriage um, and even just you crude language and things like that can sometimes come even if they're innuendos it's mm-hmm. still being applied and we know exactly what they're talking about but a lot of the time that you know there's some just great happy songs but, you know, I don't believe in getting drunk. You know, I'm not opposed to drinking. I don't, don't mind if people want to have a drink. That's fine. But not drunk. It's, it's um, against God's ruling and for our own health and safety as well. So when you're listening to the radio, is that a dial changer for you? Yep, absolutely. So I've got a CD in my car as well that if there's some music that I don't agree with the lyrics or the morals of that, switch it straight over. I'm not going to listen to things that I don't believe are good for our souls or are against things that I believe strongly in. Kids that you're teaching are obviously listening to this kind of music. What kind of conversations do you have, if any, about music to them at that level? Yep. For me, that was a very easy decision. Um, I was working in a school that allowed me to sort of, I suppose, craft and and not, I suppose, have a bit of control over what music um, I teach and, and Um, play with my children Mm -hmm. Um, we also had strong morals as a school and so they were very clear on expectations about what should and shouldn't be included in music so I had sort of department heads helping with that as well but for any song that any of my students ever brought to me I'd say look before you show me what the song is and let me listen to it I want you to bring me the lyrics so I'd read through the lyrics if I was happy with the lyrics yep go ahead let's do the song or look this song probably just doesn't have quite the right meaning behind it you need to think of something else for me so I'd always ask them to give me three or four options and we'd sort of select two from those help me out with this because um, I'm a listener of Christian radio as I am with all kinds of radio formats not just that format they'll have a Madonna song but clearly Madonna has views and ideas and has done things in the past whilst those songs are being recorded that they're playing on the radio does it go beyond what's sung and performed? to the person themselves, in your opinion, in the way that you consume music? I think for me, I probably haven't focused too much on the person. For instance, even Miley Cyrus, she obviously went off the rails for a fair bit there, but even listening to a beautiful song that she brought back, Malibu, that was beautiful. I quite enjoy listening to that. Um, I think too, I probably don't know a lot about the artist's lives in general. Like for me, it's a lot of names. I probably haven't done a lot of research into the actual artists. But for me, I probably more focus on song by song rather than, you know, looking at what they've done. I'm not going to judge them based on past events and things like that. 
what is the artist that you're looking forward to seeing to in the future? If they were to tour through Shepparton and go to the local front bar, who would you like to see playing in the front bar? It almost depends on what sort of mood I'm in, actually, I reckon. If I'm feeling something a little bit more mellow, Lauren Daigle is an artist who I absolutely love at the moment. She has a really beautiful, raw voice. And just with the acoustics, it's incredible. I love listening to it. But it's not something you'd want to go sort of, you know, do a bit of a party thing to. We're talking front bar, though, you know, a quiet, quiet beverage, alcoholic or otherwise. She could do well there, actually. She's beautiful in surroundings like that. Um, her, or otherwise, like I've probably mentioned, I'm having a bit of a love relationship with Tori Kelly at the moment, so she'd probably be my next one. How are you feeling about what you're doing right now as a company director, really? Pretty exciting, actually, being able to sort of launch your own thing and, and see it start to grow and, and have changes. I mean, even just this week, I started to go out and look at um, wholesalers and I've had some really great reception, which is really encouraging because... That's sort of the direction I want to take on more people to find out, I want more people to have the joy of, of getting a candle and opening up and just absolutely loving it. Finally, on the issue of joy, what is the one thing only that is bringing you joy, bringing Brie joy at the moment? The one thing? That is difficult because there are so many things in my life that are bringing me joy. Number one for bringing me joy at the moment is probably my relationship with God, just being able to communicate to him through songs, through speaking, through others, even just, you know, speaking with my friends and my family because we all share that relationship. That's the thing that really brings me that joy that is lasts and sustains. I mean, happiness can come through candles, but it ultimately it doesn't last because once the candle's gone, the joy's gone. <laughs> but having God as, as my leader in my life and just having a relationship with him is the one thing that I know I can always rely on and will always bring me joy, even through the hard circumstances. That seems to be a wonderful, happy note to finish on. Brianna, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Brianna Hall, owner of Eliana that can be found at elianaco.com. Since recording, Brie has started an exciting new chapter away from family home in the north of Australia. On Diamond are a band led by songwriter-singer Lisa Salvo and also in the group on vocals and guitar, Hannah Cameron, who had a great record, I Lay Where You Lie, out on their own last year. Back to On Diamond, the latest cut is Poison Blood, an escapee's lament maybe. We'll take less than three minutes to hear and days to unravel. On reflection, less lament than letting go of a cycle, comfort of pain, possibly of some kind of trauma. Let your ears decide, Poison Blood, On Diamond the band, out now. Post the final performance of the legendary band Beasts of Bourbon, Tex Perkins wanted to celebrate Make What the Band Was About by making a record with the remaining living members of. In the South Park studio with a few ideas, jams and a couple of covers, they recorded. Still here is the result under the name The Beasts. Great Spencer Jones made it, wonderfully, on one cut, at the hospital. Covers of Zappa and Zevon appear too, out through Bang Records. Breaking down from possibly former Adelaide expat Chelsea Wilson lays the groove vocal and presence numbers of feature on their future release, Chasing Gold, out in mid-March. Wilson is said to have been speaker at the Lincoln Center New York for Jazz Congress in 2019 and the creative Woman of Soul series for the last eight years. Alan's going to showcase the string orchestrations of Ross Irwin of The Bamboos. 
And the divine Kate Sobrano is looking for Insta stories of takes of her songs from the last 30 years. So if you're keen and wish to share a version from I'm Talking or her solo repertoire, just tag her in your clip. She's at The Real Kate Sobrano over at Insta. Inspired to do a version of See Right Through myself. Off the charts. Aria Charts as episode is released. Singles chart number one, Aria Grande stays put with seven rings. In at number two, with Breaking Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored, is also Andrea Grande. In fact, the chart also has Andrea Grande at number seven, 11, 13, 16, 21, 22, 25, 26, 36. And supplementary number as out of the top 40, 41st position too. Feel like it's an error, though, could relate to streaming too. As for the highest Australian act in the Australian Recording Industry Association chart, Dean Lewis with 7 minutes at number 17, and the Hilltop Hoods have dropped to 20th spot. To be honest, I've only listened to a few minutes across Grande's album. Guess I should give it a full listen. On the single front, Feel Her Wash of the Chart has stopped Kate Miller Heike's winning song for Eurovision, Zero Gravity, getting a look in. In line with our feature guest today, let's take a glimpse at the Billboard's Hot Christian chart this week. Number one, You Say by Lauren Dangle. Number two, Who You Say I Am by Hillsong Worship. Now, is it just me or is the use of You Say in the top two? Well, um, I digress. Tyrone Wells in at three with Gnome. In four, Only Jesus by the Casting Crowns. A Reckless Love is down to five for Corey Ashby. Do note on the same chart, hot Christian, Avril Levine's Head Above Water is at 14, which reminds me, Levine in recent days dropped a cut with Nicki Minaj called Dumb Blonde, which is the follow-up to her Head Above Water about her encounters with Lyme disease. Not on the charts yet. News through from Meow Meow about an album out next month, the part of, together with Thomas Lauderdale, the founder and band leader of Pink Martini, called Hotel Amour. Featuring on the release, Barry Humphreys, Mikel Legrand, The Von Trapps, and Rufus Wainwright. Speaking of Wainwright, I'm getting my twice-yearly haircut to look my best for him this week as he hits the stage to play one of his albums and some of his hits. Few minutes left, so let's dive into the archives. 9th of February 1998 was the start of the final week of the Constitutional Convention to decide if Australia would become a republic and what would it look like. One of the delegates and a strong believer of the monarchy was Mr. Bruce Ruxton in the group named Safeguard the People. He was also the president of the Victorian Return Services League and undisputably did a lot for the veterans, though his views, he passed away in 2011, did regularly on other issues raise protest and disagreement in the wider community. As suggested, this is from the archives, very close to 21 years later to the day. While he used inflamed language, he always spoke in respectful tones with me in person, as he did here over the phone, even though our views were, and are, very opposite. Broader than this chat, he said some very vile and hurtful things. He also is now dead. Anyway, here's my chat with Mr. Ruxton from 1998 about how, in the thick of it, the Constitutional Convention was then going. I just find it all, all very confusing, very weighted towards the Republican cause, very weighted indeed. Uh, they're all jumping up and down if it was a fait accompli. So I don't think it's good. And I want to just say this, the turncoat liberals, 
They are the people that grab me more than anyone. Costello coming in with like the great spectacular is just about to dismiss the parliament, stating that I've decided to be a Republican. You see, I don't know whether they're fair dinkum or they're thinking about votes. That's what, that's what worries me. At least John Howard's honest. Mr Ruxton, if they're thinking about votes, wouldn't that suggest that they believe the majority of the public want a republic? I don't know what they believe. I, I believe if, if, if the, uh, some of the things are going to go to the people, I can't see the uh, Australians supporting uh, the changes to the Constitution. But, uh, OK, you've got a point there, but I just feel sad when you see these people... Uh, uh, Costello coming into the chamber there the other other day, you know, he lounges on the seat like if he owned the whole of a row and then he gets up and makes that great announcement. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. If we're talking about Australia being a better place, would it not be a better place to recognise our Aboriginal history in that? going to whack that into the constitution you count me out one australia for all australians if you're going to if you're going to start uh, uh, dividing australians and putting some in the constitution and some out of it no not for ruxton i'll make it quite clear now uh, that's a strong vote no Looking at what's happened over the last week and what will be happening this week at the Constitutional Convention, does it sadden you to believe that the Republicans have a hold? Uh, look, there's, there's no two ways about it. They got the majority of votes at that convention. They've got the majority of those, uh, the votes. Up, up until now, they've all been squabbling with one another, which has been delightful. Do you think they're going to kiss and make up before the end of the week? Well, I don't know how they can... I don't know how they can come to some deal. One wants a two-thirds majority of the parliament and the other one wants a popularly elected president. Both of them are going to be politicised if they ever come in, either way. What is um, the importance of this president or uh, the governor-general? People, kids, the lot, have never been taught about our system and it's rather awful to think that because the Australian Constitution really governs us from the womb to the tomb and we don't know anything about it. As a popularly elected president, we're going to have more power than the Prime Minister because it's a parliamentary party that elects him. Whichever way you go, it cannot be a minimal approach. The whole of the Constitution has to be virtually massacred to change over from our constitutional monarchy to a republic. And there's no reason for it, except the British haters amongst them, and there's a few of them. Week two starts today. What's this week all about? What direction are we going to see for the monarchists? we're going to end up with a motion, a model of a republic to be put to the people. Do you want this or do you want the status quo to remain? Now, that's what the question will be. And the model, of course, has got to, has got to be passed this week. There's other things too. There's the preamble. I had to bring it up the other day in the, in the, in the old chamber. Things like, will the new president or governor general, as they decided to call him, Will he, will he, can he have the dual nationality? Can you imagine president with dual nationality? He goes overseas and visits the land of his birth and they've got compulsory military service. They've got to grab him. If we have a properly elected president, how should that process work? Do you have any kind of compromise where you can see that happening? People of Australia, I think, would want that because they mistrust the politicians so much. But it's going to be disastrous. Uh, first of all, uh, you'll find the money will come into it. Uh, politics will come into it. There's no two ways about that. So how should it be done to avoid all this? Well, uh, the Turnbull model really is the best. And that's the two-thirds of the parliament. 
but but the people outside here won't wear that because they mistrust the politicians. Today, right now with our present system, the Prime Minister... Uh, uh, John Howard. John Howard would ring the Queen up and say, look, we want Bruce Ruxton to become Governor-General, and that's it, finish. And he can do likewise to dismiss me. Do you think at the end of the day that John Howard will follow through and have a referendum next year, and do you hope he will? Well, I don't know what model's going to come up. If you say, yes, we want to change, this is what you're going to get. That's what they say. That's what it's going to be about. Mr Ruxton, thank you very much for your time this morning, and we hope to speak to you in the near future, maybe after the convention. Okay, John. The late Mr Bruce Ruxton having his view back in 1998 from the archives. Australia did not become a republic. Turnbull he spoke of became Prime Minister, now has left Parliament, and has a book coming out through Hardy Grant later this year. As part of going into the archives, there's a chance before I kick the bucket to share some of the chats I've had over the last couple of decades I've been behind the mic. Like with Mr Ruxton, you may not agree with their views, but uh, some interesting chats have been had with some of those characters. In fact, I did look at a interview I did with a uh, lady called Pauline Hanson, who's now a senator, but she's been in the news this week uh, a fair bit. And I started listening to the chat that we had in 2000, and it just seemed eerily creepy considering the news that was out in the last few days. Also in the last few days, been trying to track down 40-plus artists who have said they wanted a chat, but haven't been able to lock in a place and time. Simply a place and a time. An absolute frustration. As I know they're in town, and I've had the time, but they haven't been able to put A and B together to get C. It, it's one of those things that used to infuriate me when I was doing live radio. Uh, particularly, of course, when the guests didn't turn up for a slotted alignment. Now, they're not even allotting their time to actually have a chat that they want. It's a little crazy. But the good news is there's some great eggs that you are going to hear from in the next couple of episodes here on Radio Notes. While the producing and hosting is quite a solitaire affair, it is so great to have such a great team, and you'll hear who they are in just a moment. In fact, two of them are currently on stage doing productions. The other is doing some fantastic film clips for their music. Give a shout-out to the Rev team, the other guys and gals who do the transcripts of the feature chat. Grateful to the team in America who currently do it, and they're called Rev. That's a wrap for this episode. Before I do go, thanks to our feature guest, Brianna Hall, founder and director of Elena, for having an open chat. Off to discover some of the music acts they spoke, as well grateful ideas that have sparked for future episodes. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.